0: Welcome to the first episode of Junto Club. My name is Michael Petnotti, and every week I'll be discussing current events, philosophy, and whatever else might interest us with my friends Matt O'Brien and Chu Zhang. We are three robotics PhD students who bonded over mutual suffering, introspective discussions, and cheap Chinese food. On this episode, we discuss our motivations for doing the podcast, its theme, interesting business ventures, and what can make death go from bad to worse. This is Junto Club. club.
1: No. All right. So I guess I can start as motivation as we talked about last time. You know, the reason I, well, I, I want to do this because I want to learn from you guys uh, based on, you know, our previous uh, uh, lunchtime discussions. I feel like I learned a lot from you guys based on, you know, usually a lot of misconception, not misconception, my, you know, I was in my own bubble of my, poly- especially my political views. And then I and mean, you guys have a good, you know, opinions on stuff that oh maybe me double think like okay, maybe this is wrong. Like, it made me think differently. So I really enjoyed that, yeah. So that's that's one motivation, oh. yeah. And then you know this is kinda of try to, you know, bring that back kinda of sort of way, right? So yeah. Yeah.
0: My yeah. motivation is to teach you.
2: <laughs> <laughs> <All right. laughs> Come on, Mike. Thank you, I'm yeah. <laughs> <laughs> largely with shoe on this i mean also i've been you know largely locked up for like nine months now so it's good to have some social interaction but um you know definitely feel like we all get into patterns of like seeing you know the consuming content that already agrees with what you think and stuff so hopefully we can challenge each other bring some different perspectives and keep things interesting
0: no I mean, I, I guess I agree with all of that. I mean, social, and uh, I mean, I guess we should provide some larger context, context should anyone actually listen to this who's not familiar with who we are. But basically, we were three PhD robotics students who used to have lunch together.
1: And <laughs> <laughs> a very uh, cheap uh, Chinese joint.
0: That's right. Which.
1: The. It's
2: called Pacific Grill a <laughs> <And laughs> oh,
0: free plug show. Come on, <laughs>
2: yeah. she's actually getting sponsored. Yeah, that's right. Yeah.
1: <laughs> so yeah, so so that's so that's why I was uh, as I was I was we were talking about the uh, motivation. Then I was looking around like what what's the theme, right? We want to have a uh, come up with a the theme and then to, a name to call uh, this podcast. And then somehow uh, I talk about. Uh, the Junto club which is the i, I read about uh like benjamin franklin's uh history a little bit now he's he he's uh his auto his biography right so so there's a mention of the Junto club and then the founding of that from benjamin franklin well he that 's one of the reason he started right to uh, uh it's a club he founded for mutual improvement right in, in 1727 is almost like 300 years ago so yeah so um it was the purpose of the club was to like, debate questions of morals politics and natural philosophy and to exchange knowledge of business affairs so yeah it's a nice scientific topic so net very i think net captures very well like what we want to discuss right uh whenever we uh do this right so mm-hmm. but, like think Nat, that's pretty good uh, thing and then we can also of course as you mentioned before that we can always delve more into the history as well right so it's very good Yeah.
0: No, uh, I mean uh, yeah I mean I think that makes a lot of sense I mean I think basically uh, I, I mean I miss from our lunches discussing sort of just current events generally I mean I feel like I in a way have just been in a loop of just working and Oblivious to anything political or not immediately sort of related to my job, so
1: yeah yeah yeah, yeah. I so. think uh, yeah, frankly, I mean he, they talk about a lot of stuff in the current affairs, business, anything that you know news and stuff, and then actually one thing that one thing that I found very interesting and there's a couple of things that came out of the the Junto Club
0: it mm-hmm. was a
1: very like, one thing is in the public library. Actually, the, the reason they, they have, they come out with the library is, is that everybody, because they meet everybody, every member of the club, they meet, right, uh, every week to talk, discuss, and they realize, hey, uh, each, each of them have different books, right? right? So they want to have uh, people bring their own books to share with uh, members of the club. And mm-hmm. that was uh, the initial idea and uh, where it, the public library came from. Yeah. So I was like, oh, that's very awesome. Yeah. <laughs>
2: That's
1: an interesting fact. I didn't know about that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. I mean, one of the the libraries that Franklin started from this actually still exists in Philadelphia. So maybe after this, we can go visit sometimes.
0: (laughs) Philadelphia. (laughs)
1: Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. So I think you guys uh, mentioned about the –
2: do we need to talk about the – pledges to start this oh yeah (laughs) I think they're reasonably interesting the pledges to become a member to the Jinto club
0: yeah Yeah, read them off
2: yeah number one I got this have you any particular disrespect to any present members and you're supposed to answer I have not I guess unless you do hate someone who's already in it
1: my answer is no comments
0: (laughs) yeah that's right I played the fifth
2: Um, (laughs) off to a good start Two, yeah. Do you sincerely declare that you love mankind in general? Of what profession or religion? Sovere. Answer: I do. Also, sovere. I have no idea if I pronounced that right. It looks like a French word. Uh.
1: Oh, yeah. I thought it's so ever.
2: Oh. Uh, all right, delete this. I'm an idiot. It's all together. <laughs> <in my face>. <laughs>
1: <laughs> you think you, you think you think too much. But but yeah, uh, My answer would be depends on the mankind, the person, I guess.
0: <laughs> yeah, I guess I'm profoundly disappointed in mankind, but sure, we'll go with love. I <laughs> think, you know,
2: I think you could just simplify this to, you know, want good for humanity and, you know, not discriminatory mm. in general.
1: Mm.
2: I guess I'm on the lower side of bigoted. <laughs> You, you meet the minimal qualifications. So congratulations. Yes. <laughs> All right. Number three. Do you think any person ought to be harmed in his body, name, or goods for mere speculative opinions or his external way of worship? Your answer is supposed to be no.
0: <laughs> I say no.
1: <laughs> Again, it still depends on a person. <laughs> some, per- some person deserve to be harmed.
0: But is it well, but, well it's asking or say, uh, saying you d- don't think it should happen purely for their like religion or whatever so or it opinions.
1: Depends on a, it depends on a person and depends on the religion
2: both <laughs> I, I, mean, I think this is basically kind of like the basic free speech concept right like you know agree that you know allow people to have their ideas and express them without you know harm so that you can you know actually discuss things and try to figure out what's true.
0: Right. No, no, no. I I am against cancel culture, I suppose. So.
2: That is true.
0: And then fourth, <laughs> do you love
2: truth for truth's sake and will endeavor impartially to find it and receive it yourself and communicate it to others?
1: Uh, my answer is yes, but partially because impartially is very hard to do. <laughs> I'm, yeah. not, I'm not sure if I can do it impartially.
0: I don't know. The more I I feel like the more time I spend in the sciences, the more I'm convinced there is no absolute truth.
2: That there's actually no absolute truth or just that we can't know it? Because those are pretty two different things.
0: That's fair. I mean I guess yes. The absolute truth based on just our limited perception or our individual perceptions absolute truth may not be known to any individual
2: so, mm. I, don't know. I uh, feel like these questions capture like that very like classical liberal you know old school scientist view of the world though you know like you mm-hmm. know the, the origin of democracy you know debate will leave give rise to like you know truth and a better society and things like that if that makes any sense.
1: Yeah, I think this, I think these. I would say these four players probably came from Franklin himself, right? And then he actually, I think he based the formation of the club, the idea of the club, also from previous, previous club, like something called the Dry Club, and from I think like by philosopher John Locke and all the other. And there's, and there's a pre- predecessor to this uh, the Jundo Club, right? So he also based it on uh, former club so yeah. So so these some of the language came from came from uh the older generations as well, yeah. So that's a that's a gigantic big chain of ideas, yeah. So
0: mm-hmm.
1: So yeah, so awesome. So this is uh I guess this is the momentous moment, I guess the 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 club of us is officially formed. <laughs> <laughs> So yeah, um, so yeah, so did you look at uh, any of the 24 questions that, uh, Franklin asked?
0: I mean, I did. One on a, oh, go ahead. Sorry. Uh,
1: well, the on second question is like, what news story have you lately heard agreeable for telling in conversation? I think this is a good place to start.
0: Ooh. What news story have I heard? I mean, uh, so, I mean, I, I guess I read, I, I, Sort of have read three news stories recently for the purposes of this podcast. Two of which I think are just immediate, will be immediate agreement among the three of us. And then one that I is sort of in my personal area of interest. So the two that, so once again, there was an opinion piece in, I don't know, like the, like some Pennsylvania magazine about autonomous warfare. and uh and just because of our background i couldn't just not bring it up but it was just more like is autonomous warfare it it, it was the typical is autonomous warfare here and should autonomous like lethal autonomous systems be involved and i i mean i don't know i assume with the three of us that will essentially be unanimous yes but
1: should autonomous warfare be involved in what?
0: Like, should autonomous systems be involved in warfare? Like making lethal, lethal decisions. Should robots be able to kill people in war? Yes. Mm. Yeah.
1: I'm, personally, I'm not sure, actually. Yeah. I would say I'm not sure I know enough of the negative impacts that we have have not considered, and I have not considered to, even though, you know, our, you know, Dr. Arkin, you know, he's always the proponent of that, right? Uh, of the uh, study there a lot, but personally, I'm not, I'm not sure if I have considered on the negative, you know, ramifications that, yeah, that could come out of it. Right? Even, even AI, right? Even AI has a lot of bias, right? Even currently, I in, in currently, like a lot of, like, <laughs> facial recognition is all trained on white people. <laughs> so any, any kind of black person is the same, right? So, I mean, just imagine like warfare in the future that if the training is, if the training was wrong in the first place, you know, just any, any people that looks like, you know, a terrorist you just get shot. Right. So.
0: No, that's actually, it. okay. That's actually a good point. It actually brings in a second story I read, which it, because of my job was interesting. Uh, which is AI and healthcare, right? So it's like, Mm. what does your training data look like? And is it representative of who you're actually applying it to? So, Mm. um, because that is something that like a lot of uh, like, so this particular story was about like, can AI get rid of essentially infectious disease in hospital and things like sepsis and stuff like that. And um, I mean, and I guess, a big thing that I've noticed in the time I've spent reading a lot of papers about sort of AI and healthcare is just like, I guess just the blatant like misrepresentation of system performance. Like mm-hmm. just in, like it, just in the sense of like the data sets people are, like and, and because, and part of it is because data in this like sector is like private, often it's like companies owning the data and it's like, so it can be hard to, I guess, get appropriate data, but it's like companies just are companies and labs and various entities, just essentially just being like my system works so well. And that's because it's like they're the statistics they're using, like to classify system performance are just like flat out wrong for the type of training and testing data they have. So, so I mean, yeah, so I guess it's just, but it is, you are, this article in particular was saying if AI is going to be successful in healthcare, that in addition to like being able to trust the system, like one of the key things is having a system that will actually um, represent the population accurately. Well,
2: going back, one topic than to the killer robots, though. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think most people's natural inclination is like, you know, robots that can murder people, like, this, got to be really bad, right? Um, so much so that I haven't seen many nuanced opinions against it, just because I think everyone just kind of assumes there's an agreement. But, I mean, the thing with a lot of this stuff, the key thing is AI doesn't need to be perfect. It just mm-hmm. needs to be better than humans. Right. And so, like, you know, obviously you should test and try to fix any bias that is in AI for any reason but like humans have a lot of bias too right okay. so there you can arguably have an AI system that has a provable bias but it still is actually less biased than the majority of people doing this job instead and would do better performance like when it comes to war in particular I mean just in general in the scale of history like soldiers of war have you know often committed Gruesome crimes against humanity, not saying that, you know, that's what US soldiers in modern times do, but, you know, they're put under, often put in like a super hard situation, right? Like soldiers in the Middle East have had to deal with, you know, people who pretend to be civilians to try to like attack them. They have to be worried for their life and the life of like their friends who they've like trained with and worked with for like months, you know, so this puts really an unreasonable position on them when in a robot you know, an artificial AI system doesn't have any fear, doesn't have any concern. So it's not even that hard to see it improving performance over what people do. I mean, drone strikes are often brought up as like a political hot topic, right? But -hmm. if you look at the, I was actually looking at this a few weeks ago, like the stats of drone strikes over time in terms of like not or civilian casualties, right? Like targets being hit and killed who aren't the, you know, actual people that are trying to be hit. Have really been getting reduced as the technology is being better. And drones aren't AI right now; they're still human piloted. But like, arguably, these technologies could lead towards much more precise war in general. Uh, you know, only actually killing the people you intend to kill. Now, should we be killing those people is a whole separate other thing. Do they actually deserve it? Should we be involved in a conflict? But I think I think it's going to be hard to argue that
0: AI can't provide a lot of help in this area sure no i uh, yeah i mean i basically agree with that The whole point of things like basic training is to like limit identity like help produce soldiers that follow orders and i mean if a superior tells you to execute an order i mean you're going to likely do so or we've seen in the past um i guess people do so without I guess the ability to, uh, uh, I guess, be precise, or the, I uh, not being certain that they're executing the order on the right target, or whatever. Um, so I think with things like AI, uh, as you said, sort of, yeah. I, I mean, AI won't have that stress, and if I guess governing bodies have some type of like the laws of war programmed in, or whatever that's uh makes for a, and even if like an individual machine is
2: autonomous there's always going to be like su- super supervisory control right like you're going to have we're never they're never just going to be like hey robots go invade this country you know we'll check in in a month to see what's going on right people are going to be monitoring the situation what's going on you know so you know maybe that's like the future of the military's officers go to you know schools you know and then they come out and then they lead you know control teams of robots from behind a terminal right maybe that's like the future of the military in 30 years but so it's not you know there's we there's there's no we're nowhere close to the end point of seeing like an ai system like this that would just be left to do whatever it wants right for right. the next decades forward these things would still be supervised by humans mm-hmm.
1: yeah i, I guess uh, yeah i guess the question the debate i mean I'm not sure, I think it's a good topic to talk about, but I'm not sure if it's the right debate to have, because, I mean, AI is just, anything It's just not a tool, right? It's a, any tool not, can be, you know, can be useful and can be abused, right? So, and also, I think, it's, I guess it's for any, for any country's national security is, you know, is to do it, right? To get it over. And, because in the future, if you don't have enough population soldiers, you can just, you know, build on this robot, just send it over, right? You don't, like right now, China is, you know, have a lot more population. They can just send soldiers, right? But in the future, you know, you don't even need a lot of population anymore to have a very strong military, right? Just every, just, just remote. It became every, everything, everything in a remote world, right? Right now, everything is remote work, you know, remote warfare as well, right? So, yeah. But anyway, what I found interesting is, that, Matt, you mentioned that you, Couple of days ago, you were just like browsing and you were looking into the drone statistics stats, right? I mean, what what were you doing? Like, why? Well, well, I I just want to know what motivated you to look into stuff like that. I mean, for I would never think about like to look online and say, "Well, I want to look up drum stats," right? right? So
2: <laughs> well, personal, you know, to get personal slightly. I'm one of those people who sometimes gets mad and argues with people on the internet, you know. Um, so as a, one of these people who are like, Obama's a war criminal because he did like drone strikes and stuff. And I'm like, basically the point I was making is, I mean, it was basically against the, I was annoyed with the argument that, you know, using drones means you're like a war criminal and doing something bad when, what I, what I thought and what the evidence I found seems to support, um, is that drone strikes, if anything, have reduced civilian casualties, and you know, excessive things. They're just simply, especially as technology is improving, there are more precise forms of warfare. Now, again, there's still the question of, you know, do you enter? You know, there's some bad guy in the Middle East or so, some- you know, that might be doing something bad. Should the U.S. get involved or not? Because getting involved has a lot of consequences, but you know, just letting them do whatever they want also has consequences. So those are really hard decisions. But like drones themselves are a very useful tool. Uh, but, and, I, I, but yeah. So there's a lot of, and you see this a lot. If, you, if you're on the internet, you see people who are like, Obama's a war criminal, "Drone strikes. Like, that's just like a meme that gets passed around, and it's dumb, yeah. and I don't like it.
1: But I, I see that a lot, too, but I never, I never look into it, and I it true, right? But what, are you like that all the time? Like, normally? Like,
2: what, I guess, what? <laughs> well, what, I mean, that's I, not something I do all the time, but it's something I do occasionally. Just curious. Just, like, get into these, like, you know, weird debates uh, and arguments online.
1: Uh, so what 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 kind of use source do you look like trigger those like Reddit stuff? Reddit predominantly. Oh okay, okay. I see. Yeah, and that's that's quite interesting because uh I guess I mean I, I look I, I look at these topics too, right? I just say, oh, okay, this is what they say, I just who cares, right? But you, you actually dig into actually this is true or not, right? So I find that very interesting. <laughs> okay. <laughs> All right. Mike, do you do that?
0: I mean, no, I very rarely comment on any social media or internet posts. I will Probably. occasionally be the person that reads comments, like, on, yeah. yeah.
1: But you don't look, actually, look into the evidence and the facts, try to dig deeper, right? You don't do that.
0: I mean, I'll just generally listen to podcasts or something. I mean, I like, or... I mean, if it's something that really is striking, I might look into a news story or something, but I won't, I generally won't.
1: Not news story though, but what Matt did is actually go into like getting data to support like to either to prove this or disprove this, right?
0: Sure, sure. No, I mean, I've looked into statistics a hand like, but it's very, very rare, like gun statistics and stuff I've looked into, but I would say that's about it.
1: Okay, yeah, and that's cool. I, I guess uh, we should all do that more often, I guess. That's, that's yeah. my point, right? <laughs> yeah.
2: yeah. Arguing yeah. with people online was the true purpose of Benjamin Franklin's Junto Club. He just didn't realize it at the time.
1: Oh, yeah, 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 true. <laughs> <laughs> so, all right. So, so, that was my question, right? And the second question from the 24th question that Franklin said. So, there's a few things that I think uh, I... That business idea I found very interesting that I heard last week, which is something called, have you heard of Metro Mile? Net-
0: Metro Mile. Metro. Metro. Oh, Natural. Metro. Metro?
1: Yeah, Metro. Oh, Metro. okay,
0: okay. Well, I heard it right it, the first time. Okay.
1: I think they, they are going IPO pretty soon, like initial public offering. So mm-hmm. basically their idea is to something called dynamic insurance. I like the idea of dynamic insurance, which means that instead of like charging you monthly, like uh, premium, right? You actually gonna charge you, like depends on how much you drive, right? Mm. So now the reason now they can do it because they can, I think once you uh, sign up, they can send you something that actually kind of monitor how much you drive, like tele, tele, telemetry stuff, information, right? So. Now can, they can monitor how much you drive. Yeah, so.
2: yeah, there's things that you can, like, plug into cars that can monitor the status and stuff, and they could probably just use that and beam it to a cell tower.
1: Yeah, yeah. So I, I just I, I just heard it last week. I said, oh, this is very cool. But I, then I look up, go online and see where it's available. It's only available in a few states right now, like California, somewhere, you know, West Coast, but not in Atlanta yet. So.
2: <laughs> so I guess, I mean... So their benefit would obviously be like, oh, we'll charge you less if you don't drive a ton. And then what they're hoping is that they're going to get these like people who are pretty low risk, um, you know, to pay them without rarely having to like, you know, actually pay out. The insurance company rarely have to pay out because these people don't drive. So I guess they're they're wondering if they can capture like a very safe portion of like the insurance pool and profit off them. It's an interesting idea.
1: Yeah, I think also, I think he also may talk about, like, in the future, like, if your car is much safer, like, if you, instead of human driving, you know, like Tesla, like autopilot, AI driving, it's much safer, and they should take that into account as well, right? When you, as your insurance premium, yeah. Mm
0: -hmm. So if you're upgrading your car to these increasingly autonomous vehicles, then I guess you would benefit, uh, on the insurance side. Anyway,
1: it, it, it's, it's it's more about the company, I guess. I just find the idea of oh, this is something that I haven't heard before, and this is very uh, a new way of doing things. That just like oh wow, I, I, it's very cool. Yeah.
0: Yeah. I mean, I've been waiting for companies like this, I guess, to because I mean, if you think like I've always wondered like so in Massachusetts, essentially they like they you no longer have like toll booths right i mean i like probably in most of the northeast there are no longer toll booths and i'm sure it's spread across the country There's and the country. Uh, yeah and basically so you go so essentially toll roads you drive through and they just take a picture of your license plate and if you have a trans like an account with the state they charge that account if they don't then they you know bill like bill you at your on file address or whatever And I've been waiting for like the time where essentially like you enter a toll road and it's like you exit that toll road and they take a picture of your license plate again. And it's like, oh, like in order to go from A to B, you had to be driving 85 miles an hour. Like so and you uh, get like a ticket because so I've been waiting for it's like insurance companies to take like unsafe information into account as well. Like, so basically it's like, oh, you, you know, you speed like crazy. So we're going to raise your insurance. Right. So. Mm. Interesting.
2: That might be the future where every insurance company starts. Basically it's like, oh, you want to plan with us. We're going to like monitor your car and then like price you based on your driving habits. And.
0: Yeah. I mean, it's, I mean, it seems very logical. So. This company is going to...
2: Metro is going to normalize the idea and then all the big ones are going to copy it and our privacy will be gone. We'll never be able to drive anywhere without people knowing again.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yes, you do. I mean, yeah. But I guess, I mean, it just makes... Yeah, I mean, speed tells, I think, a pretty big story. Like, you're constantly going, like, pretty slow. You're doing a lot of city driving, which is dangerous. If you're going way too fast, then that's another thing. So basically they want people who drive like basically 35 to 55. And that's about it.
2: Well, the (laughs) original one of these were accelerometers basically, because I saw this like several years ago, some insurance companies, basically you just put an accelerometer in your car and then it's like a safe driving bonus. There was like a commercial for it. A speedometer, right? What? A speedometer? Or... no an accelerometer oh really the idea is it's less important if you're driving fast than if you're like stopping so you're and starting like right. yeah like if you're taking sharp turns accelerating hard breaking hard that would indicate you're doing things that are less safe well like going up to like 70 on the interstate is not particularly dangerous but if right. you know but if you're smooth and controlled and predictable for everyone else you're a lot less likely to you know Right. I mean, predictability is one of the most important things for other people not hitting you. Obviously, someone could always just like be drunk or whatever, but yeah. You know, so if you're not accelerating that much, you right. know, you're probably very
0: predictable because all your changes are slow. No, no, that's fair. Yeah. Mm. No, you're not weaving in and out of lanes or something like that. Yeah. So I guess that's a smart idea. Yeah.
1: Yeah, and that's an interesting idea too. Yeah.
0: But I'm assuming that metro miles, could
1: be able to get all those information in the future as well, right? Just you know, yeah.
2: They might. I mean, I don't know how lo- much you looked into it, but they might also already be including that. Like, oh, like a there's a metric for distance, and then a metric for like safety, which they could use things yeah. like that. So,
1: accelerometer something. is everywhere now, right? Every phone has an accelerometer, right? You can just say, hey, just just ping ping information from your phone to my to my data center, right? <laughs> yeah Yeah. anyway so sounds good all right so so another thing i heard is something have you heard of something called i heard an interview like with uh, charles Koch. he was talking about something called a uh regulatory regulatory capture Mm. of that phrase
2: yeah yeah my dad rants about that semi-regularly all
1: right all right (laughs) all right why don't you all right educate me this is my interpretation my my initial invitation, interpretation, and then Matt, you can probably <laughs> uh, uh, explain more later in more detail. So, so basically, he the, the example he gave is, is like if someone like giving a haircut, right? Like for someone need to to go become barber to actually uh, get the haircut to people, right? And they actually need to go go to this license school to get a license to do that, right? Whereas mm-hmm. like so, but that's a hurdle, right? That's a hurdle for people to get, get, uh, what do you call that? Get money, get, get jobs, right? So that's really bad, right? For the, for the general public, right? Whereas like, engineers, where well, we just go to school and then we, we don't even need any license to design like AI and stuff to do and make a lot of money, right? So that's, that's no hurdle for engineers, but that's a hurdle for like these regular trades, school, that people want, just want to go to specific trades, even like, cutting hair that's not you know the worst case you can do is just, you know get the haircut right so yeah so that so that's the hurdle i think i think it's my interpretation is you the know, regulatory capture is the hurdle that government plays that yeah, for specific interest group that prevents other people from uh basically getting what do you call that economic mobility in certain some way yeah
2: yeah i think that's uh pretty close i think So I I guess in general, I would say, as far as I understand it, is like, yeah, regulatory capture is when, like, non-government entities use the government to place regulations and things that benefit them. Um, Mm. And things like unnecessary occupational licensing is, like, an example of that, right? Although I guess I kind of doubt, I don't know, maybe they did, maybe, like, you know, were haircut people, like, (laughs) giving money to their local state legislators to be, like, licenses. But I've heard unnecessary occupational licensing is an issue that I see get brought up sometimes it's not really a big thing but there's some niche places groups that say hey this is a problem because as you say it provides barriers to entry for people to access what's often are relatively like i mean these are jobs that sometimes can provide a, like a reasonable wage but um don't require like a lot of education or super specialized skill set so it's something that a lot of people who are you know poor lower income could potentially have access to, but these things like these unnecessary licensing kind of like restricts them. But like in, in more broad speaking, regulatory capture can be applied to, you know, sometimes companies, big companies will say things like, you know, we should have a requirement for like a minimum insurance for something, which sounds good, right? Like, Oh, big companies need to be responsible, but then, you know, small companies can't pay, you know, they can't afford to have this, you know, 10 million dollar coverage for their you know new factory crane company right so just getting like off the ground becomes really hard so i mean honestly there's a lot of industries where the barrier of entry a barrier to entry is not always a government thing but a lot of government regulation increases the barrier to entry and it's not just like on a personal thing but when you increase the barrier to entry the ability for competing companies to come in you know do the whole free market thing where a competing company drives down prices offers new innovative services things like that gets restricted so yes regulatory capture is an issue um it's probably unavoidable honestly but you know government should do what they can to like try to limit it
1: what do you mean by why is
2: it unavoidable well i mean as long as the government is regulating businesses what's the chance that businesses will not like no one will be able to like influence them to do a regulation that maybe benefits them more than helps the general population right okay yeah, yeah. I, it's like it's an issue that you'll probably never get rid of entirely i mean that you know readjusting how our political system is funded and elections happen and that's a whole different topic could probably help a lot but you know all right tune in next week <laughs> that's a whole different thing but yeah regulatory capture it's bad so so what What the do what does your dad rend about it well i mean he's my dad's probably a more libertarian minded than me um and i think he kind of su- often uses this as an argument that like government regulations in general are bad so this is something you'll see from the right they'll be like government regulations are bad and this is like a one example of like why they're bad um sometimes people i see it pushed as like the reason monopolies exist is because of government interference interference i've seen mm-hmm strong libertarian types make that statement. And a little bit there could be accurate because again, regulatory capture can't help restrict competitors from getting into a market. But Uh that's dumb because in a completely free market, monopolies will happen very often. So it's not not something that, a monopoly is not only a function of regulatory, you know, regulation from the government. And I mean, there's also a balance because like some regulations are good. And even if they have an unintended effect of restricting competition, sometimes they're still like beneficial overall, but there are are indeed dumb regulations like occupational licensing for jobs that have little to no risk to anyone.
1: Um, Yeah. Yeah, I see. I see. It's not completely bad. A lot of people say, like giving the haircut example, right, the barber example, but actually it's just... People that are just using it to attack it, but some some regulation might is are good, right? So yeah, that makes yeah. sense.
0: I mean, I just wonder if those types of regulations are maybe, I guess, becoming less and less necessary, just in the sense of like, I guess, just sticking with the barber example. Like previously, I guess, uh, sort of before the sort of internet and sort of, uh, I guess, very common. Ways to review people and sort of hold people accountable with respect to, like, how I guess solid they are at their profession. Like, I, I guess this type of regulation gives some type of assurance that these people were at least trained in an in agreed upon way, right? Whereas mm-hmm. now it's like maybe that isn't as necessary just simply because, like, if they're a terrible barber and essentially cutting off people's ears then you're gonna find that out you know via like a yelp or some type of review service right
1: i i do
2: do agree that i think it's less needed i think there is a i was looking something else up but i think there is um an argument made that these sort of things can be proactive rather than reactive, right? Like you don't have to wait till someone gets like screwed over or hurt to try to like, then be like, Oh, it turns out they don't know what they're doing. You know, it's kind of like a proactive, like let's make sure you can't get into this unless you know what you're doing. Um, so probably, so what I would say is they may be less needed, but you know, I don't think they're completely antiquated. Mm. All
1: right. I think that's a, that's pretty good. So I think, in the last few minutes, I want to end with something very, uh, very uh, lighthearted, right? So, so let's talk about
2: five regrets of dying. So, Wait, five regrets when you're dying, not like why you're dying. Five regrets
1: of dying. The, yeah, that people are, when when they die, when when they are dying, you know, know common regrets people have. Oh, I see. I see. Yeah, Do you have I'm, this list on you? Yeah, yeah. I'm fascinated with that, of course. <laughs> I always, so, number one, uh, mm-hmm. I wish I had the courage to live a life true to myself, not the life others expected of me. Okay, okay. make sense? <laughs> yeah, it makes yeah. sense. All right. Yeah. Second, I wish I had had not worked so hard. Okay. Second
0: one. Yeah, that's. I feel like that's probably relatable to all of us
1: alright so the third one is I wish I had the courage to express my feelings alright Mike you can express more
0: <laughs> I feel like I'm pretty good at that one
1: alright so the fourth one is I wish I had stayed in touch with my friends
0: yep.
2: uh, it's Junto club
1: <laughs> uh the fifth one is i wish that i had let myself be happier
2: that's a tough one do people, do people just not let themselves be happy like like things are going well but they're like mm, i'm not going to be happy about this this is what i wanted but i'm just going to decide not to
1: yeah the concept is you no know, happiness it's a choice right that's not the concept right it, it, i mean i think most people when they die they realize oh I can just choose to happy, happy. But actually, when they are living, right, they just like occupy with all the other stuff, and they don't realize and they just say, "Hey, I choose to be happy," right? So, I mean, it might be hard when you are when while you are living, but when you're dying,
2: you you realize, "Fuck it," you know. <laughs> I can yeah. just be. I'm gonna push back on a couple of these just for fun. Uh, what was one of them? I wish I didn't work so hard. I feel well. I feel like a lot of these seem to be come from like if you took what relatively well off developed world people and asked them what their dying regrets are, because I feel like, you know, the classic American immigrant story, you know, they come here, they work really hard at some like shitty low paying job, but they provide their kid like a better life who goes on to like go to college and be successful. You know, I feel like they wouldn't look back and be like, damn, I wish I didn't work so hard. I feel like they look back and are like, damn, I'm so glad. Like I worked so hard. I was able to like improve my kid's life so much, you know?
0: Mm, right no i mean i would say that it's i guess working at something you don't particularly find value in or you hate it or whatever i mean because like i uh, something that resonated with me that i think encompasses sort of a couple of these is like actually my undergrad like graduation speech or whatever like the uh, the the guy who was the graduation speaker was like the speech writer for obama and he, his speech was all about like, don't, uh, don't try to be something, like be, like be rich or be this or be that, but try to do something that you value. So, mm-hmm. cause he's like, you can always be richer or be more successful, but like if you do something that you love, then I guess it's, you'll have, always have value. So.
2: Yeah. so. I
1: think, uh, some are working so hard and the regrets. I think the regret not because they actually work, but it's mostly because instead of work, they did not do, but by working, they did not do the other stuff. Like spending more time with my families,
2: travel more, do other stuff, right? So. Uh-huh. No, no, I'm definitely not saying it would never be like a legitimate regret. You could obviously overwork when it was unnecessary, not, it wasn't for something important. I imagine it's kind of what Mike says. If you're doing something that's important, with your work, you probably won't regret it if you're just working because you know you want to climb the corporate ladder but you already are pretty comfortable and you're ignoring you know your family to do it, you know then it's probably more likely you're going to regret it yeah so my question for you guys is
1: what what, what are you most afraid that you might regret when you're dying like when you die like what, what's the most regret that you uh, try to avoid uh, I, I guess I would start, right? guess I, I, my regret is uh, not to live, not to, I don't know, not not to live, I guess, just, just there, right? Just to, to live, I guess, like to experience things and then to, I, it's, yeah, it's kind of still hard for me to kind of articulate it, right? So, but I want to, I guess, to live a full life in certain, in certain ways, but I'm not sure what that means, right? And then when I die and I, oh, I, I, I don't. I. I don't. I'm afraid. Of regret and I regret it. I realize I have not lived, right. So whatever that means to me, right. Well One <laughs> But yeah. So also, I mean, going back to uh initially, like in the beginning, the Mike's uh, quote, right, from uh, Socrates, Aristotle, right, to "An uh, exam, uh, life is not worth living." Something mm-hmm. like that. So, yeah, yeah. So, I, so that's why I try. Always try to examine my. Recently, I started examining my decisions and stuff like that. Like, oh, okay, why did I make that decision and stuff like that? Anyway, so yeah, try to examine it a little bit. Yeah.
2: Hmm. Nice. That's insightful. This is an incredibly deep personal question that I had not really considered before.
0: (laughs) No. Um, uh, I'll just say, I hope I have a few more decades to figure it out. That's (laughs)
2: that's true, (laughs) ideally. I don't know. I mean, right now in my current state of uh, being very close to finishing my PhD, the, the one thing, the only thing that comes to mind is like, I'd be really pissed if I don't actually complete it because like I've invested so much time and I know I've had enough opportunity that like I could have done it. You know, so I know like if I fail, like this would be on me because I should have been able to, but this is obviously kind of like a short term, like where I'm at in my life sort of thing. Um, although I imagine if I failed to get it, even when I died, I'd probably be pissed off about not having completed it, but Mm. obviously on your life scale, there probably might be other things that are more important. Mm.
0: Yeah. I mean, I would say my thinking is just, uh, maybe in line with, I don't know, more the second or third one. I don't remember which one it was, which is more just, I guess, Taking the time to sort of pursue things for you that you wanted to try, so I guess yeah. So sorry, go ahead.
1: what do you mean? Say, so, can you repeat what you say?
0: Uh, so just uh, so I, I, would say that I definitely have been in like very, very prone to get in the mode of like, okay, like here's where we here's like essentially the state of my life. Like, what's the next goal? So I guess taking the time to sort of just pursue things that for, I guess for purely for enjoyment sort of in the moment as opposed to sort of being very goal focused, I think is, yeah, I mean, something that I would probably regret at this point.
1: So. Re- regret that you are more very goal focused.
0: Yes, goal focus. So, like, as a so, constantly planning for the next long term goal as opposed to taking, I guess, the time to sort of live in the moment.
2: Ah, uh, okay, yeah, okay, that makes I, sense. I've heard that, like, I've heard that related to like doctors and medical professionals because they also, you know, they go to through crazy amounts of schooling and then they do residency, and it's like sort of like they're like always like, oh, I'll do this and then I'll live my life, quote unquote, but like right. but like the and then, you know, happens so late, you know, it's like you should step back and realize like while you're doing this, you should be living your life. You are living your life, whether you intend to or not, right? So yeah, take the opportunity to do the things you want. Yeah. Like goals are bad, obviously, but. Yeah, one one
1: concept is, uh, is instead of like taking the, re- Like looking forward to retirement when you are like 60, 70, when you have no energy, you can't walk, you can't even probably have sex, right? So, so the, the the idea to have like mini, mini retirement, like once a year, maybe take a month or two months, you know, like off, you know, just like take a mini retirement in between when you have the energy to do stuff, you know, yeah. Hmm. Because when you are 60, 70, when you retire, you have money, you have time, but you have no energy, right, to do anything.
0: Well, that's why we need robotics, like exoskeletons or robots injected into us to fix us. Yeah. So get working, ship.
2: All right, that's our company next. Yeah, that's wow. all right. Now you just gotta find me a job that lets me take two months off a year because I do that halfway. Like you are doing it right now, right? You are doing everything remote, right? So you can
1: yeah. use... It. right now. You could instead of living in the U.S., you could be in Mexico, right? In any country, any other country, like on the beach somewhere, right?
2: It would be difficult to do my work on a beach in Mexico, I would say.
1: Yeah. So one, actually, one, one trick is to do some kind of remote work, like virtual work, instead of like in-person office. Mm-hmm. That way you can, you have more like freedom. As and That's one that's one trick that you can do. Yeah.
2: Well, I mean, I feel like the real thing about this, like maybe... It's different for other people but the real thing for the vacation would be not having to work more so than i mean like going someplace else would be fun i want to do more traveling but like a vacation would be more about t- taking that time to do other things than just saying let me go to some other place and then do my work there you know instead of doing my work here right like if i'm still doing my work most days you know and then i just have to, you know, a few hours at home at night to like chill like it's not really any different
1: that, that leads me to the second trick. First trick: get your remote virtual world set up. Second, second trick is to be more effective. And what you do? So instead of working at eight hours per day, you will maybe one hour, two hours, and then the rest of the day is all yours.
2: That would be very nice, but I feel like that's a, a little bit easier said than done.
1: Of course, of course, yeah. want Everybody will be doing it, but that is the yeah. second objective. You could be like you can analyze your work like how much, you work, what would what you spend time on, right? That way you can be more productive, right? So yeah. so that way, now instead of a week of work, maybe you can just work like five, instead of five days, you can work like maybe two, three days, right? Did,
0: Did you say, he, so... Oh, all right. well, no, I was just going to say you don't subscribe to the fact that, uh as Elon Musk says, uh, no one's changed the world with 40-hour work weeks here.
1: But... I want to change the world with four-hour work week.
2: <laughs> the work week will be the world, the change in the world he creates, okay? Yeah. So. No, every,
1: no, everybody should read the book called Four-Hour Week. Seriously. And there's a book called that, yeah. So that, that's why my, I just finished that book. It's like, oh, wow, this is pretty cool.
2: <laughs>
1: <laughs> Very nice, yeah, good tips on life hacking stuff, yeah, so.
2: You could you could summarize it for us so we don't have to go bother reading it one time. I've
1: done it already. There was the no, get remote second, be more productive, and then the stuff. <laughs> I'm
0: not
2: reading this book.
0: That's, that's, a, that's four hour story. work week. That's the, That's how the author wrote it. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's
1: a mindset. It's not. It's the idea, right? It's the idea. It's the mindset. How you How you implement it? Like virtual work and also not be more productive is one way of implementing it. But the, I, I, the principle and the idea is a little be more bigger than that, right? So. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, so I think uh, that's a good place. Uh, I think that's all I have for today, I think.
2: <laughs> yeah, all I was nice. going to check in you said you had about an hour or so. Yeah. You right. needed to get going soon.
0: All right. What's our wrap-up saying? I don't think we have one. The well, June... we, can just,
1: we, can, we can just end with a quote, right? An uh, unex, unexamined life is not worth believing, something like that. I don't know. Something. Actually, no. Another quote for me is uh, "Think inside the box." <laughs> that one.
2: that quote is very shoe. Yeah, it's, it captures shoe's philosophy on life perfectly. I know if anyone actually watched this, no one would understand, but me and Mike do. Okay. Uh, yeah. Let's do that. Uh, And it's like
1: a little inside the box before you look outside, right? Think outside.
0: (laughs) Think inside the box before outside the box. We'll see you next week.